So the psalmist wrote to the congregation, and this is what he wrote: that we will tell the ways, the wondrous ways of the Lord, and pray for the children, and even for the children that are not born yet, that they will know about God. Isn't that an awesome song? That's what you're doing here this morning. As I stand with you, as I was singing this song about God's faithfulness, I'm reminded of your legacy that you are putting here in this city. That by you standing here, you're declaring the wondrous way of God. Your kids can see you; they look up on your face. They may be doing stuff, you know, but they can see the joy on your face. And when they grow up. They're going to pass down to the children that is yet to be born. Isn't that awesome? Let's give a hand to the Lord and please be seated. Yes, please be seated. And kids, Santa Clara First Baptist Church, let us send them off with blessing to their kids' zone that they can learn the Word of God. Thank you, volunteers and teachers. Yes, parents, if you're new here today, we have great teacher that will take care of your kids. Uh, and uh, thank you for bringing your kids to worship with us this morning. All right, bundle of joy and energy. Right. As the kids are going, I want to remind you that uh, before I start sermon, we have our soccer today, six to seven, Central Park near the swim center. So if you park at Kylie, you'll have more exercise. But if you do want to have more exercise, come around this. Swim center and play soccer with us. You don't have to have soccer skills. Uh, you can walk around there and fellowship. Uh, but I can tell you that it will increase your lifespan if you come and play one hour with us, right? So, <clears throat> ladies are included too. Girls and boys is all co-ed, so, right? That is for today, and we have a board. Meeting today, so pray for the board also. Okay. Now uh, we can turn toward uh, uh, our scripture today. John twenty, John chapter twenty, verse twenty-four to twenty-nine. That's what we are going to uh, preach from today. John chapter twenty, verse twenty-four to twenty-nine. And uh, uh, this is the third in the series on doubt that Jesus dealt with the doubt of the disciples. I want us to pray and uh, take our mind to the Lord, that our hearts be ready for the ministry of the Word of God. Can you please ask the Holy Spirit of God to teach you today the Word of God? Pray for your pastor. That he will preach the word of God boldly.
welcome you, Holy Spirit, to be with us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I have said before, and if you're catching up today, I want to let you know that Jesus stayed for 40 days after resurrection to do ministry. And uh, sometimes we don't know or we haven't thought about why Jesus stayed back for 40 days. Why didn't he go straight to the Father? Why didn't he go straight to heaven? And there are important, vital ministries that change the lives of the disciples that turn the world upside down. So, um, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He wasn't just there to wish goodbye. We'll see you again. You know. He wasn't catching up after his resurrection. It was to reinforce the things that he had taught for three years. In that 40 days, he taught pertaining the kingdom of God and reinforced that faith into the life of the disciples and the church, the body of Christ. This is like a crucial time for him. I'm going to be here for 40 days. I have a plan. I have a strategy. And this is what I'm going to teach. And today we're looking at doubt. Jesus dealt with doubt. Jesus had to deal with the doubts of his disciples so they can move forward in faith. Because in John 24, John 20, 24, Thomas wasn't there when the Lord appeared the first time on Sunday evening. So in 24, he said, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. But Thomas would not believe. Thomas would not believe. So let's start with the word doubt. What is doubt? Okay. So Jesus used the word apistos. That word doubt it means unbelief, right? Jesus. And uh, it means unfaithful. It means faithless. It means uh, uh, not to be trusted. Uh, it's, uh, it's an old word, perfidious person. It's like deceitful and untrustworthy. That is doubt. It's without trust in God. So the, the word doubt comes with negative connotations and implications, Right? We don't have a good thing about doubt. Uh, discernment would be close. You know, I doubt whether um, that would be like a good thing. But here, right now, everything of these words, of this word is, is bad. What is doubt? The scripture also used the word distazo. So distazo is, means two. It means double, right? And uh, going two ways, it's shifting uh, position is the double stance, and you see the word Thomas, the twin, right? It's two, it's double. And we will see this significance of how the, the the Lord used the word and played with the word and with the name of Thomas about that. You are double, you are double, you are double-minded. Be believing, 
Not be disbelieving. Be faithful. So we want to look at this doubt. Why did Jesus deal with doubt? Have you asked that question? Why did he have to deal with doubt? Of people's life. Today. And as it was in Thomas. So faith is the only way. To believe in the teaching of Jesus. This morning. All of us that are sitting here. If we take the element of faith. From our spiritual life. Everything that teaches. Everything that Jesus had taught. Everything that we read. Everything that we, uh, we experience. You take faith away. Then. There is nothing. There is no way. It's impossible to believe that Jesus is the way. The truth and the life. Without faith. It is impossible to please God. Without faith. It is impossible to see God. Without faith, there is no way you will believe in God. Faith becomes so essential, so vital in the kingdom of God. And doubt comes directly against faith. It's a direct confrontation to the kingdom of God. And God, our Lord Jesus Christ, has to deal with this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrew 11 verse 6. Doubt clashes with faith. So Jesus confronted the doubt of Thomas. Dealing with Thomas' doubt is dealing with the disciples' doubt. Dealing with Thomas' doubt is dealing with our doubt. We look at Thomas only and say, Oh, this is just for Thomas. No, it wasn't just for Thomas. It was for the disciples. It was for us. That Thomas embody the doubt of the world. And Christ has to deal with this. Because he knew it will come. And we still have doubt today. We still have doubt today. So in this passage, in John uh, 20, 24 to 29... There are three speakers. Okay? There are three speakers, three voices, three point of view. And we want to look at these three speakers today. And the first, of course, in, in, when you read your scripture, the first is the disciples. Thomas came in, who spoke? It was the disciples that spoke and said, We have seen the Lord. Wow, we have seen the Lord. Exuberant in excitement. Full of assurance, right? So excited. Thomas! I don't think like, oh, the conversation wouldn't have been like, oh, Thomas, where you been? Where did you go? What did you eat? Did you get to meet your mom and dad? You weren't here. We were worried. It wouldn't be that kind of a conversation. When Thomas came in, Thomas, we saw the Lord. We seen the Lord. We saw his hands and his sides. Oh, yeah, it's glorious experience, right? And you would have thought Thomas would also say, Yeah, you saw the Lord? When was it? Well, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. He wasn't impressed with their excitement. His excitement did not affect, their excitement did not affect him. That assurance, it wasn't good. It's very interesting, isn't it? 
that the excitement of the disciples did not affect Thomas. You know why? Because Thomas was a pragmatic guy. He's a pragmatic guy. You know, he's a realist. And you see that Thomas had seen the dead body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thomas had seen the dead body of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he saw the wounds. He saw how the body looked, how they, they had buried him. And he was saying, no, no, I got to see this. I got to see this with my eyes. And we have that kind of people in our church too. Don't look at them, please. Don't look at them. Just stay straight. Just stay straight, okay? Don't, don't look at them. Um, and then, uh, um, but it's very interesting that uh, in John 11, right? In John chapter 11, what happens is there is a story about Lazarus and Martha and Mary. What happened? Lazarus died. Lazarus died. And when the news of Lazarus' death came to Jesus, who was with Jesus? Thomas was with Jesus. Thomas was with Jesus. And and he turned to the disciples, to Thomas, and said, I am glad that I wasn't there when he died. So this intent is to glorify God. Right? John chapter 11. I'm glad that I wasn't there when uh, Thomas uh, uh, Lazarus died to the intent that this will give praise to the Lord. When he had said that and turned away, what did Thomas say to the disciples? He said, come, let's go and die with him. I try to make this connection. Christ is saying, okay, Lazarus is dead. I'm going to glorify. In this, God will be glorified. And Thomas turned to his disciples, let us go and die with him. What is that connection? And you can see that Thomas did not believe that Jesus is the resurrection, even there. Right? Even there, he did not believe. So when they went, uh, uh, Mary was there. John 11, continue to read. Mary was there. Mary met Jesus. And uh, uh, um, the sorrow of Mary affected Jesus Christ. It's been four days that Lazarus has been laid in the tomb. And Jesus turned around to Mary, and there was this interesting conversation. And he asked Mary, Mary, I am the resurrection, right? I am the resurrection of life. Do you believe in this? And Mary turned toward her, him and said, yes, I believe that you are the resurrection. Martha knew heard that Jesus was there, she come running. said, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It affected him. And Thomas saw all these things. Eh? Thomas saw all these things. So he said, where is the tomb? Where you have laid? He said, move away the stone. Move away the stone. And when they move away the stone, what did Jesus do? Jesus said to Lazarus, he called out, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And the word of God says that Lazarus was taught, bound in his hand and his feet with grave clothes, and his face were wrapped. With the whole chapter of John 11. So, 
His hands are bound with the grave clothes. Feet are bound with the grave clothes. And the face is wrapped, right? So it's how the burial ritual is. It's all you can see. So it wasn't like when Lazarus come out, it would have been a great sight, right? Because it would be like this. He would be coming out like this from the tomb, right? He's, he's bound. He's not walking. So out this dark tomb, slowly, this guy is jumping out like this. And there it was. And Thomas saw that. Thomas saw Lazarus come back to life. Why do you think that in John 11, that the writer did not name the, the names of the other disciples and took Thomas' name there? Because the doubt of resurrection, the gift, the lesson of that. Thomas saw the resurrection of Lazarus. He heard that Jesus teaching them, I am the resurrection. But here on the day of the resurrection, the other disciples had seen him, the Lord, and he will not believe. The man who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Doubt. Doubt is a killer of our passion, of our gifts, of our calling. You know God can use our weakness. You know God can use our ungiftedness. You know God can use our failures and mistakes. But doubt and pride, which is very close, that will kill your calling, your passion, and your ministry. Doubt will make you ineffective in your life. You will be fruitless. See how dangerous this is? That we can give our weakness to God. We can give our failures and our mistakes to God. But doubt is, in another form, in another translation, in another meaning, doubt is direct rebellion to God and direct disobedience to the Lord. Because you doubt God to perform what He said He will do. Are you with me this morning? Yeah? Yeah, good. So that's the first speaker. We haven't even gone to second speaker. So anyone wants to take a bathroom break? No, no. Okay, let's go then. We'll go to commercial break, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, so we have seen... I can see somebody giggling over there. All right. Uh, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. And Thomas said... Now, second speaker is the Thomas, the response to the disciple. And his point of view. He said, unless... I see his hand, his sides. I am not going to believe. I am not going to believe unless... I see him. Unless I can sense it. Right? Unless I sense it. Sense the five senses. Eyes. Touch. See. Right? Unless I can sense him. With full senses. I will not believe. I will not believe. Verse 25. John 20 verse 25. I will not believe. Wow. That must have been... Uh, 
That must uh, be, that must have shocked the disciples. It's not the response they were hoping for. How many times have we not believed what the Lord say He will do for us? The first thing I remember about uh, Thomas, I have heard it in the Sunday school when I was young, but this stayed with me because my father, uh, I was nine years old, my father had to go down to South India uh, to treat his cancer. Uh, He had cancer over his, you know, this side of the area, and it spread all over his body and his bones, and he died of cancer. But when he went down there, um, he went to the place where Thomas died. Thomas died in India. Thomas went to India, he preached the gospel, and he was a martyr. He was speared to death in India, okay, in Chennai. Uh, anyone from Tamil Nadu, you will see the place. So my father went there to visit that place. And when he came back from treat, uh, after the treatment, when we had our family devotion, he was talking about Thomas. And he was talking about the statue. He was talking about the places that he visited and how it deeply uh, impacted him. And it has stayed with me even today. More than, four, well, close to 40 years, but more than 30 years later, I still remember what my father had taught about Thomas. It has stayed with me. That's the Thomas I knew. Not the doubter, not the doubting Thomas, but the Thomas who died for Christ, for me. See, that's the one that I knew. And I, I was like, wow. And as I grow older and look at the scripture and the map and the distance, how he came. How did he come to India? And I know the history of India. India is a hard place too. Steep in religion. It's a land of religion. Major religions were formed in India. Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism. You name it. This is the land of the birth of religion. And here Thomas came. To a very orthodox Hindu place. And he was martyred in India. That's the Thomas that I knew. Right? But he's saying, unless I sense this with my full senses, the hand and the sight, I am not going to believe. How did it go from, I cannot believe, to dying for Christ? It is dealing with doubt. Christ dealt with the doubt of Thomas so he can take the gospel across the ocean. Isn't that amazing? So it's not just dealing with Thomas' doubt. It was dealing with the doubt of the world. God unburdened the weight of the doubt of the world as he was dealing with the doubt of Thomas. This is an amazing story to me. I was at a gathering last, this week, Hope 101, pastors gathering highway 101 all the pastors that are here in highway 101 in the bay area we had a meeting we didn't come to talk about how great our church is what kind of ministry is working we just came as human beings pastors no 
Do you think pastors have doubts? They do. Pastors have doubts. We gathered there, more than 30 of us. We prayed for one another. We prayed for the need to love one another. As I was sitting there, I reflected on compassion. As a pastor, when we talk compassion, it's always about showing compassion to people that are outside, that doesn't have food or clothes, homeless. Let's show compassion to them. Let's show compassion to them. But as I sat there, and as prayed with the pastors, as we shared, I realized that I need to show compassion to my brothers and sisters who are pastors. I have to show compassion to my own, not just to others. Many of them are there. They have their doubts. They have doubts whether God's still working in their lives. They have doubts whether the calling that they have is right. Do you know how many out of three pastors, how many pastors retire as a minister? Do you know? Only one. Only one pastor out of three retire as a minister. Pastors have doubts. Just as the disciples have doubts. Doubt is a killer of ministry, of pastorate, and of church. You pray for me. You pray for your pastor. You know already from the beginning that I don't have all the answers. That's the first thing I said when you called me here. I don't have all the answers. But I want to be faithful to God. I am not worried about God's faithfulness. I don't doubt about God's strengths and abilities. I want to make that clear. I never doubt on God's ability and His strength and His faithfulness. What I'm concerned is about my faithfulness. What I'm concerned is about my Consistency to follow the Lord. I doubt about me. I pray that I will continue to faithfully follow the Lord. I don't question on God's greatness and His faithfulness. But I also wanted to see, unless you know, I get to sense that, then I will believe. Now God's still here. God's still here. I may not see Him work, but God's still here. And then Jesus said in verse 27. So what happens now is, so Jesus met the disciples on the evening of the resurrection. And after the eight days, okay? This is the eight days. So in other sense, this is the Sunday after that Sunday. On the second Sunday, when the disciples were gathered, Jesus came in their midst. And he said, peace be to you. Peace be unto you. And he turned to Thomas and he said, Do not be unbelieving. Be believing. Direct. It's just like he just came for Thomas. Thomas getting special treatment. But as I said before, it wasn't just for Thomas. You remember? Remember now when Mary Magdalene, when Mary Magdalene ran to the disciples when he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I've seen the Lord. Did they believe her? No. 
In the morning she saw. She went and told Peter and the disciples, I've seen the Lord. They didn't believe. In the evening, where were they? In John chapter, they have shut the door in fear of the Jews. They did not believe. So this is not, it's like not just Thomas. No, all the disciples did not believe either. They did not take the word of Mary Magdalene. He had to come in and say, peace be to you. Come and, come and touch my hand. Come and touch my side. That's what he said. It's not just like they didn't believe, even not just Thomas, even the disciples. And he had to work with this doubt. And Jesus came to deal with the unbelieving, unbelief of the disciples. He said, do not be unbelieving, be believing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Thomas wanted evidence. The evidence of all the senses. And Christ is saying, you should have believed. You should have hoped. Because hope should have been the evidence for you. But you want to feel it. You want to touch it. You want to see it. What can we learn from Thomas? And by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll give three questions again today. And Kevin and uh, uh, Max will help me. So you can start with three questions. What you want to ask. But let me finish with these three thoughts for you, okay? So what can we learn from Thomas? What can we learn from Thomas is that when Jesus first appeared with Thomas, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. Where was he? Where did Thomas go? The Bible did not say that, but just imagine he wasn't there with the disciples. We can learn from this that when you disassociate from fellowshipping with believers, you're in danger of being isolated by the enemy. Okay? That's what happened to Thomas. When you disassociate from your friends in Santa Clara First Baptist Church, you're in danger of being isolated by the enemy. That's why the Hebrew writers say, do not forsake the assembly. You can't do this on your own. We cannot do this on our own. We have to do it together. It's called one body. Can I hear you say one body? Yes, one body. It's not parts. We do life together. What can we learn from Thomas? You see, because the enemy uses the oldest trick in the garden. They isolated Adam and Eve from God and told a lie and put a doubt in their heart to Adam and Eve. Did really God did God really say that? Right? What can we learn from Thomas? My Lord, my God. When Jesus said, Come, touch, what did Thomas do? He didn't go, he said, My Lord, my God. The confession of faith of Thomas is the confession of the world. Christ accepted. Thomas confession that he is Lord. The Lord accepts the confession of everyone in this earth. That's the beauty of Thomas. That he recognized the Lord and he confessed that he is the Lord. What can we learn from Thomas? The third one is the highest form of faith is believing without seeing senses. The highest form of faith is without is believing without 
seen without feeling all the senses. You can read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, the joy of believing, how it pleases the Lord. And uh, uh, I hope that as we deal with our doubt and as you raise the question, it will uh, solidify what we are teaching here. So anybody wants to raise a question on doubt? Three questions. Yes. It's on. Yep. My uh, my question is that what is the uh, remedy of doubt? Like when you have doubts, and I think we are all humans, and we are not like perfect beings, and we are all at you know at uh, different points in our own lives and journeys. So we keep on falling back to doubts time and again. So. What can we do to not fall back to doubt over and over and not repeat the same mistakes? Good question, Waipaf. So you can be seated, yes. Uh, We didn't talk this week, okay? But he said, what is the remedy of doubt, right? The remedy, faith is the remedy of doubt. Faith is the remedy of doubt. It says, faith is the evidence of things not seen. So I started with faith. That you believe that God is going to perform what he says he will do for you. So how do we not waver? How do we are, how we are not double-minded? In James chapter 1, uh, it says uh, in James chapter 1, it says, uh, if anyone lacks wisdom. Right? See, um, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind. James chapter 1, verse 6. Let him ask in faith. To hold on to faith is the hardest thing to do, I love. It's not easy because we think that faith, do you think faith alone? Oh, I don't think faith can do it. That's doubt already there. But we have to let it go and fully trust in the Lord and have faith in Him for whatever you're aiming for and going for and see that He works for you. But show some patience. It may not happen today or immediately, but be consistent, endure in patience and have faith that He will perform what He says He will do for you and it will come to pass. So faith is the remedy of doubt. Okay. Next, anyone? Okay, very good. So, uh, there, my text uh, number is over there. If you have, uh, you, can, you can text it to me. Um, and I'll res- try to respond to you during the week. I may not be able to respond to you today itself. But during the week, I will work through it and respond. Because last week, I had uh, a lot of people asking questions. So, I worked through each of you, some of you. I may not have satisfied your answer yet, but I'll get back to you, okay? So that's my number that is up there. Let's invite the worship team to come up so we can have, we can end this with a prayer and a worship. And to get into the worship mode, this is what I want to say. So, uh, doubt, as I have explained, is like rebellion, 
and disobedient to God. Doubt originally originated in heaven in the heart of Lucifer. When you read Isaiah 14, uh, verse 13, 14, uh, Lucifer wanted to have the throne established above the star. He wants to take the place of God. We call that pride, but it's a direct rebellion and disobedience to the Lord. And on earth, it happens in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. When the serpent came and asked Adam and Eve, did really God say, did God really tell you not to eat the fruit? You will become like him. That's where doubt originated. Christ has to come and give his life on the cross so that he can take our doubt, he can take our fear, he can take our pain and sorrow, and we can put the yoke of our Lord Jesus Christ along with us, and we can go out and serve him. Right? So let us stand in faith this morning together. Can we all stand in faith, believing that Jesus has called us and he has a plan and purpose in our life. And as we worship him, may the Spirit of God anoint you and bless you.